Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. All right, folks, sit tight. I have a treat for you. You know I love authors, I love books, and I'm also pretty picky. And I have come across a book that at first I thought was different than what it is. And it is the most delicious book I have read in as long as I can remember. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This novel is a complete treat. It's called The Means, M-E-A-N-S, by Amy Fusselman. And it is not at all what I expected, but now I'm going to be the spoiler alert and tell you why it's so great. And it's not just the dog who's in it. It's the voice of the woman of this book. It's divine. Amy, I am so excited to meet you, and I am so sad that you've written so many books and they weren't novels because this novel is so good. <laughs> I wanted to read your other novels. I'm like, oh, darn, no other novels. <laughs> How can that be? And you teach oh, at well, NYU, one of my alma maters, and you teach creative <laughs> writing. How could you not have written a novel until now? <laughs> That is a very a strong endorsement. I so appreciate that. I know it's novels are not they're hard, but yes, I will go forward and write more. Please you, write just more and yes. make sure that there are dogs in them because this dog Twix. Oh. So I'm just going to give you another little thought about this book. So I lots of publishers get in touch and and sometimes the books have a dog or a cat in them, which is helpful because that's or an animal of some kind because that's sort of my 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 criteria. And there was some mention that there was a dog. And so along comes the book and I open it up and, oh, I think it's set in the Hamptons. I thought, oh, is there something more to be said about the Hamptons? I sort of feel like no one should write about Southern California because Joan Didion did that. And I thought people have written books about the Hamptons and, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I open the book and I read the first page. I'm like, oh, this is special. As I started to read the book, and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable in overpraise, but to me, this book is like a more contemporary, modern female version of Bonfire of the Vanities. To me, it, it is such a sweeping, mm. incisive, social 
commentary, not a satire. It's compassionate and it's empathetic. How we're all striving for more stuff, better stuff. Looking at the neighbors, you know, what they have and what we don't have. And it just seems to be a terrible thing about the human condition that you have nailed with such compassion and hilarious uh, detail, Amy, in this book. I mean, you must have been saving up these ideas for a really long time. That's all I can say. It oh, is so rich. Thank you. It's so rich. Oh, that's, a, that's the perfect word. It first is the perfect word. Yeah. word. So you know an awful lot about the Hamptons. I lived there year-round for 13 years. This show, as you know, originates wow. from the Hamptons. And I lived below the radar. I lived north of the highway on purpose and below the radar. So you're setting this book in Springs or The Springs and knowing that there's a kind of subtle difference in how that's described is so fascinating because it's an outsider trying to get in, but not in the kind of way that one thinks or expects. It's not trying to get to like, you know, a political fundraiser. It's really how we all want or shouldn't want, or why do we even know what a Toto toilet is? I mean, right? Isn't the Toto toilet like the springboard for this book in a way? Yes, it is. It's really, I mean, I found that such a fun um, object for my narrator because it's ridiculous, but also so understandable, especially if you have a pet and sort of dealing with your pet's bathroom issues I mean or a baby for that matter like is sort of part of you know your life work and so it's sort of a fantasy of like well can I just have this super cool Japanese toilet that has a bidet and like a seat warmer and like right. act, you can get them with like colored lights and like a disco <laughs> it's, it's insane yeah well you know but then as you're reading it you think this is well it's what the thing that is completely astounding in the book besides being so clever and incisive and kind of like you slip the you slip the knife in here and there in such a subtle way that we don't even feel like going in and they were like ouch yeah we all want too Ooh. much stuff we all care about these status things okay i'll do without the garage but i still want the toilet that cleans my bottom and yeah. i think that this is not just in the hamptons and not just in beverly hills it's like a universal problem of wanting more stuff and thinking that somehow that will complete our life, but funny so that we read it with, it kind of, you know, it kind of blows back on us in reading it because if you're reading it and you don't know what a Toto toilet is, then you're kind of, you're safe. You're okay. You're not <laughs> one of us, but you know, my sister right, re right. at some point redid her apartment in the city and put in this Toto toilet. And of course, I had to be the bitch and say, really, you had to have a Toto toilet? <laughs> and she said, oh, you absolutely need it for resale. The other thing that this book is so much about is real estate and real estate talk and, the, and finance. How do you finance stuff when you really are spending more money than you should? And this character mm -hmm. just keeps spending more money. And I think all of us, not just women, men too, can relate to it and and that's what i mean about sticking the knife in it's cringy it's like oh man yeah mm -hmm. and the husband who hoards the most extraordinary things the pile of cashmere sweaters did you invent this idea tell me you don't really know someone who did this 
I well, I'm my my partner Frank. Yes, is a um, he is a thrift store lover, Uh-oh. and he's brought home many many you know treasures over our you know our marriage. So it's it's a uh, it's something with that would be well within his um the 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 things that the, his, his thrifting habits. I well, there it's absolutely yeah. riveting because. Not only does he have these piles of cashmere sweaters that are, I didn't know that there was like an aftermarket in cashmere sweaters, but the, the difference between Pringle and Blantyre, and then he goes to a cocktail party and notices another guy's Argyle cashmere and says, is it Pringle? And the guy goes, no, Blantyre. And I'm thinking, this is a separate universe. This universe coexists <laughs> with the universe of people trying to make their money last to the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. people who have those problems that are not the ultra poor, it's now middle class America, they kind of know this stuff. I think reading mm-hmm. this book just is such a great reminder of what are the values that really should matter and get so buried under stuff. And this dog, yeah. I mean, getting back to why it's on Dog Talk. And why I'm so grateful that you have a dog in your book. So I got to read the book and be so enamored of it and tell everybody and book club people. I seem to know a lot of people who have go to book clubs. It seems really to be quite a thing that I never quite knew. This is such a great book club book. I mean, you should read it aloud to each other. It's hilarious. It's so funny. I will to book clubs. Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, it's a thing to to aspire to, I think, with a book like The Means, is you want a lot of people to enjoy it together. Because I just think Mm. it's a book that's sort of like almost going to a party and afterwards talking to someone you really like and going, did you see what she wore and what he said and how drunk that one was? And I don't know, it just, (laughs) it's a sense of stepping into this alternate universe that's also sort of creepily familiar, which is how many mm-hmm. people around us are one paycheck away from losing their house. And I don't mean people living in cars. I mean, people living in the Hamptons. The world is so right. full of people yeah. living at the very edge of what they can afford and still pursuing more. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think your your social commentary in this is amazing. So I have this curious idea, which I did tell you ahead of time, so you wouldn't be shocked, which is that rather than just asking you to read a page or two from the book, there's a chapter which is very heavily dialogue. And I always tell authors on my show, I can't have you read dialogue because when one person reads dialogue, it's virtually impossible on radio for everyone to really understand which character is speaking in a back and forth in dialogue. So I had the idea, and you were graciously accepting of it, that you would read this chapter about our character, our protagonist, and her dog Twix, named after the candy bar by her children, and I would play the dog's part. And this is the first time that the dog has actually spoken to our character on page 100. But the character um, has been conversing on some other level with the dog, kind of sharing thoughts with her, but didn't know the dog could talk. And this is not... Mr. Ed kind of talking. I mean, this dog talks like many of us think our dog would or should or could talk. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not, <laughs> it's not, you know, a fantasy uh, projection. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I totally believe this dog talks just like that. And this is the conversation they have. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So 
if you would start the chapter, and I don't know how much you think you should set the scene. Um, they're living mm-hmm. in New York and dreaming of this house on this little triangle, this pizza slice of land in the springs where they're going to put up a most unconventional house to everyone's horror, um, but it's what they can afford. And, oh, and the exactly. the real estate agent who was also her therapist, I mean, or vice versa, it's pretty darn funny. And her rages and, and her and her her rages are great. She her anger management issues are so funny. So those things are all in the book. But I if I think we can just read this chapter, don't you? Yes, yes, you set it up beautifully. Thank you so Goody. much. Okay, yes, I'll just so again, please do. Yes, here we go. Um, I'm speaking as Shelley, the narrator of the book. At six o'clock the next morning, Twix woke me up by licking my face. I reluctantly pulled on my sweatpants, slid on my jacket, and took her outside. I pulled her away from the empty pizza box on the sidewalk in front of our building. It was a pain to take her outside, but I was happy she was basically housebroken. That was all I ever expected her to learn. It was a relief to feel like her education was complete. She knew how to pee and poop outside. She had her puppy PhD. Anything else she wanted to learn in this life was, as my kid's school referred to it, enrichment. I tried to lead Twix toward the spindly tree in front of our building, but she sat firmly in the center of the sidewalk, resisting my tug. Suddenly, she peed there while looking directly at me. What's wrong, girl? I had become one of those women who talks to their dog. Do you know where some families live, she asked me. I had imagined what my dog had been saying to me for so long. It didn't seem that surprising when she actually spoke. I had a second where I wondered if I was having a cognitive distortion, but then I decided, no, animals have been talking since the days of Aesop, and that was the 6th century B.C. Do I know where some families live? Um, In beach houses? On mountains of garbage, she spat. And do you know what those families eat on those mountains of garbage? I felt a twinge of sadness that beach houses had been wrong. (laughs) Do I know what those families eat on those mountains of garbage, I repeated. Dog cookies? Twix looked at me, incredulous. They eat garbage. This wasn't the conversation I dreamed I would one day have with my dog. The conversation I dreamed I would one day have with my dog was that she would tell me what a great dog owner I was. (laughs) So what are you going to do about your participation in this system? Twix prodded. What system? The system that confers no value on your work. Oh, that's. Why don't you start a revolution demanding that men do more domestic work and child-rearing? Twix asked, walking a few paces to sniff something on the sidewalk. Snowy wouldn't talk like this to Tintin, I thought. (laughs) George does a lot of work around the house, I said meekly. Not as much as he could, she snapped, not as if it were 50-50. But he supports us. But you also work. Yes, but my work doesn't make us any money. I actually felt like I was getting onto solid ground here. This wasn't any more wacky than any interspecies conversations in Aesop's work, like the one where a frog talks to boys about death. (laughs) My dog and I were having a serious conversation. We were talking about money. 
I talked about money to myself, at least all the time. It was something I knew something about. What would I have done if Twix had asked me about the beauty of sea anemones? (laughs) Aren't you going to do something about this unfair structure you're stuck in, she snapped. Aren't you going to demand money for your work? Well, I get paid in a way, I said defensively. I'm provided for by George, and I am getting a beach house. Yes, but that's not money for your work, she retorted. Don't you wish you got money for the good work you do? Piles and piles of it? She arched her back to poop. It was refreshing to see such lack of shame. Why was shame so intrinsic to the human experience? I tried to think of something good about shame. I came up with one. It enabled the miracle that was a Japanese toilet that played music to cover your gassy sounds. I picked up Twix's poop with a bag. It was warm. Yes, I wish I had piles of money for my work, I admitted holding the bag by my fingertips and carrying it to the corner trash. Well, you could get a lot of people together and create a revolution around pay-for-care work, she said as we began to walk back to the building. You have an awful lot of opinions about money for someone who gets universal basic income and cradle-to-grave health care, I retorted. (laughs) This is it. This book is so great. People, you have to understand that every page of the book is like that. It just makes you chuckle out loud or cringe or hope. I mean, the whole book, the crazy thing is, Amy, all through the means, I'm thinking, I hope she gets her house, even if it's made of two containers on a triangle of land. Oh, oops, there's only going to be one bathroom in the and the bedrooms are microscopic, but she's going to get it, right? Uh, you know, it's like it's like this book makes you root for the bank robber in a movie, right? It's just like, yeah, I know that this is wrong. It's just wrong, but I hope it works out. It's a great book, Amy. We've run out of time. I just cannot say enough good things. I hope everybody will tell their book group and their librarian and their bookstore that they want to read The Means by Amy Fusselman. It's so, so, so good and funny. And the dog is wonderful. I've been talking to my dogs ever since reading your book. I'm So far, I haven't heard anything <laughs> back, but I'm, I'm not giving up. Thank you for oh, being yeah, here and for up. being <laughs> such a wonderful writer. And I'm holding you to your promise. More novels. More novels for Tracy. More novels for Tracy. Yes, I'm please. On it. Wonderful. What <laughs> a so what much. a great Have book a- and what a great conversation. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Tracy. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.